Coming up, readings beyond the raffle and Theoryland approved conjecture. Deep dive into the spells and scrolls of nerd culture. Absorb Stormlight. Home sympathy. Arnas, Sayadar, and Sayadin. This is Phantology. You may have heard of us. All right, fans of the Books of Babel, we have a special episode for you today, an episode we we are very excited for at Phantology. I'm your host, Stephen, as always, and I have my lifelong friend Ryan with me. Ryan, are you excited right now? I am probably more excited than I've been in any other podcast we've recorded. Ooh, okay. Well, keep on listening then, I suppose. And... Uh, <laughs> The reason for your excitement is, of course, that we have a special guest. We have uh, Josiah Bancroft himself, author of The Books of Babel, on with us to talk a little bit about his new book. We're not going to do any spoilers for the series. We want to kind of talk about The Books of Babel in, in general, talk about uh, your story a bit, Josiah, and your writing process, all that fun stuff. So I think it should be an interesting episode. So if you're a fan of the series, definitely continue listening. And if you're not, bow out now, because there's going to be a lot of this. If you're not, you should be. Like, I really don't know what's going on because this is a series that we just recently picked up at, at Phantology after a lot of recommendations, and we have loved it. Four out of the five Phantology uh, members have been reading through, and we really just have a lot of positive things to say. I mean, on the reviews, we're kind of funny. We try to come up with criticisms, etc. But overall, our, our reviews are very positive. We've really enjoyed the books. So that, uh, you know, bravo, Josiah. Thank you so much for for writing these for us. Absolutely. I'm, I'm glad to be here and talking with you guys. Uh, my first question for you is, how do you, we know that it's not an evil twin named Sharon that that is here with us? Just because your, your Zoom name says Sharon Bancroft. Right, right. That's my tell for who has in the past made all the money in the, the relationship, you know, like the one who could <laughs> afford the, the Zoom accounts uh, that I just glom onto. So that's... Yeah, no, I, I, I am her lesser half. I, I do write more fantasy, um, but uh, that's, that's, that's about the only thing I have going for me. Uh, okay. I'm taller too. Like if you ever want to get something off the top shelf, I'm <laughs> your guy. Don't nice. call Sharon. She can't get it. <laughs> uh, Does she write? Hmm? Does she write at all? Oh, no, no, no. Oh, okay. No. But she's, she, she's just like um, a finished human being with maturity and a professional career. Okay. Then, how are you over here? Here I am. You want to know about some, uh, you know, imaginary fawns who, who, who have, you know, uh, mechanical arms and, 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 and snarky comments? I'm your guy, uh, you know. Well, it sounds like we got the guy for the podcast then. <laughs> Second question, is that pillow behind you, if you're watching on Zoom, is that a, is that a Byron pillow? No, it's just green. It's a regular green pillow. No, 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 the, the other one, the one with the... Uh... Oh, this one, the, the, the one that, yeah, this, that one. Yes. oh yeah, this no, this is yeah, this is my my buddy Byron. Um, oh, you know, I, I we're such fast friends. We we both had pillows printed up of each other, and <laughs> and his his lounge is one of me, uh, which I think is better looking. But this one's it's not bad. It's not. Is there any who, is there any particular story behind that pillow? Did somebody have that made for you? No, no, I, you know, I, I um, 
uh, I, I found it uh, on the road, and it was a, a sign that I should have it. It was just you know random sort of happenstance. After you had already created the character, by oh, oh, long after, yes, long okay. after. It was, okay. I, I, I think it was a sign from the Sphinx. How yeah. I take it. Yeah. <laughs> so Byron, if you haven't read this, the books, Byron is a character from the store. You probably picked up on that. So to get us started, Josiah, mm-hmm. uh, tell everyone a little bit about your start as an author. You have a really interesting story that I think some some know, maybe some don't. But um, yeah, yeah. How did uh, the books of Babel catch on, and what's your journey been? Okay, I have to give this like the, the the short version because it could go on for I don't know, like a whole two minutes. Uh, basically, I, I, I originally like decided to, to self-publish a novel after failing at poetry for many years. Uh, and the first step, of course, to self-publishing a novel is writing one. So I, I, I set out to write a novel. Uh, I was around uh, 35 years old, working in a community college as a teacher. I had never finished a novel before, but I thought the best thing to do if you're going to write a novel is plan a series of four or five. So uh, you know, I decided to write a series of novels uh, from the gate uh, I sat down and, and wrote said novel, Sin on the Sins. Uh, it's about a uh, headmaster who goes on his honeymoon with his young bride to the Tower of Babel. And the moment that he arrives, he loses her in the crowd. And so the story really begins there, though that's really not um, uh, encompassing of everything that happens. Uh, so, you know, I, I, I uh, decided to self-publish this novel. Uh, I did so. Uh, nobody cared in the traditional sort of, you know, self-publishing <laughs> way. Um, I fought for myself by going to conventions. I, I, I put on the tutu and the ballet shoes and, and danced in uh, aisles and convention halls, uh, trying to drum up some interest in, in the books. That did not go very well. I decided to write the sequel on the Sphinx. Uh, because, you know, the first one had been so well received. Uh, <laughs> that also was not very popular. I think uh, after three, two or three years, I had one uh, written review on Goodreads. Uh, and, and then I decided at that point to, to quit. I decided to stop writing the, the series uh, that I had in mind because it was embarrassing. You know, at some point you're like, the world says no, and it's your um, duty just to say, okay. And so I decided to stop writing the books. But the last thing I did before I quit, uh, while I was working on the third book, The Hot King, is was uh, I sent the uh, the first book, Similar Sense, to Mark Lawrence's self-publishing contest, the SPFBO. Um, I did not make it to the next round, so my, my book was booted. Uh, but the review that the reviewer gave it was sufficiently enticing to Mark Lawrence that he read it on a lark. Uh, he read it, uh, liked it. Uh, decided to contact me and say, hey, I like this. And I said, oh, thank you. And then he also gave it to his agent. His agent said, this is pretty good. I said, oh, thank you. And then they sent it to publishers and the publishers said, hey, this is pretty good. And I said, oh, thank you. You know, uh, <laughs> And they published it. Um, and here we are. Uh, it's, it's been um, an unlikely journey. Uh, and after it started getting traction, I resumed my work on the third book and finished the fourth, which is coming out in a week. So yeah, I said two minutes. I try, I try to stuff it all in there. <laughs> How long was the process from when you had written your, or I guess started writing Send Lima Sends to the point where Mark put you in contact with his agent? Started writing uh, Send Lima Sends in 2011 and Mark put me in touch with his agent in 2006, five years. Okay. 
which is I, I, I want like writers to know that 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 sometimes miracles happen very slowly. You know, it's not always like the next year. Yeah, this is a great story in perseverance. Like I could see some inspirational TED talks oh, or something. <laughs> no, 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 no. I am a quitter who got lucky. I mean, I I I I got a lot of quit in me. Like whenever the the coach was like, "You gotta quit, boy." I was like, "Oh yeah, is that an option? Can I go back to the showers? I didn't even quit. <laughs> I want a juice box. Why are we even doing this? I quit." And so you know, I I, I would never never hold myself up with some sort of exemplar of of, of tenacity because I'm not. I I, I got lucky. Um, I persisted for a while because I was um, stubborn, but you know, I, I suppose that, that that the thing about luck is it, it increases your odds as you do persist. Um, but it's 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 miraculous and sort of silly that I, I lasted as long as I. Well, you wrote two books before you gave up, so I think that's a lot more than some people can say. I was really, I was really certain, I was really sure that this was going to hit, um, but I was also like. I, when, this, when I published the second book, uh, Arm of the Sphinx, I was like, you know, I'm going to like follow uh, uh, Atwood's current model for self-publishing, where she released her new novel in sections. And so that's why if you go on Goodreads, uh, Arm of the Sphinx is split into three sections with different covers still, because it was like mm. vestigial sort of artifact. And that's because I was like, problem is, I haven't quite got the, the model right, as so I'll, I'll emulate Atwood, because I'm, I'm Margaret Atwood. I just, that was the problem. I mean... I, I think when you say you're you're lucky, you're being pretty modest because you you had a work here that was really I mean quite good, especially for a for a first self published effort, and you have some background in writing, so I don't think it's surprising that it that it came off so well. But I mean, we were reading Senlin as ascends, thinking like, wow, this is a this is a first book, this is amazing, especially for that. So I guess my question is uh, after you got connected to the agent and you published um, formally, traditionally. Was there another editorial process after that to like brush up anything in Semlin Sense? Because you said it didn't advance to the end of the contest, which kind of makes me think like maybe some revisions were made or, or was it just published as it, as it was from 2011? There really weren't. I mean, there were, uh, I think like two continuity errors because I didn't know how to do math. So my math was bad on a couple of like, when I was like, seven plus five is probably 13 or so i mean let's, let's finish. <laughs> no, no no it's not 13 or so you have to like get that right so there was like i think two continuity things uh, a couple of typos but they didn't make any uh, substantive changes to the work i i didn't take that as uh, i didn't take the fact that i did not advance in the contest as some sort of uh repudiation of what i had done it sim in a sense is a weird book it's not it's not your standard sort of like fantasy fair it's not to say that it's mm -hmm. better or worse it's just a little weird and so when jared the reviewer for porn kitsch was like i i you know i have to choose this other book I, I didn't begrudge him that like i i admit it's odd everything i'm doing here is a little bit odd doesn't mean it's good but i do have sympathy for people who don't enjoy it i think that's fair but it was very endearing to us at least like just just the the unique take on fantasy kind of this zany steampunk thing like it's very, it's very like, for me, it was very appealing. So I wanted to ask you, like, what was your inspiration for that? Why did you decide to go off in this unique direction? Because you could have, I, I'm sure you could have just written kind of more of a traditional epic fantasy. This is what others are writing, but it, it seems like you wanted to do something a little bit different. You know, I, I have said 
many times, or actually I've heard many times from my friends and family, like, why don't you just write like a popular book? Why don't you sell out and write something with, with young men riding dragons? Like, you know, come on, uh -huh. like that's, that's where the money is. And the truth is I can't. I, 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 I think that this is the book I could write. Um, I, I, I enjoyed writing it. It was an experience, but it's also the first novel I've ever finished. Like I had been writing failed novels since I was in my early 20s. I finished this one in my mid 30s. Uh, and the way that I, I finished it is I just stopped trying to like write a good book. I, tr I stopped trying to write a marketable book. I just wrote the book that I could write, that I wanted to write, the, the book that I wanted to read. And so, and, and that's, that all sounds like, you know, terrible, like uh, twee and cliche, but it's true. It's just, I, this is the first novel as an adult that I finished. And the reason that I was able to finish it is I just stopped trying to figure out what people want, figure out what I should write. And I just wrote exactly what I wanted to write. Um, so yeah, if someone said like, can you write the sequel to, you know, uh, Game of Thrones next uh, entry, I would, I would absolutely not be able to do that if someone uh, held me at gunpoint. It's just a different, wonderful talent, but I, I don't have it. I mean, I think I heard something similar from Brandon Sanderson in which for a while when he was trying to break into writing, he tried to write what he thought would be um, well-received and after a long time of trying, he just fell flat, flat on his face and he didn't find success until after he finally started writing what he wanted to write. And so I think that's something to be said for doing uh, writing as a passion. I mean, you can, you can try all you want to fake something and some people might have success for that or maybe not even fake it, but conform, right? What people, yeah, yeah. Conform yourself to what people want to hear. But um, people, I think, in general, find greater success as they as they apply their uniqueness to their creative endeavors. Well, I, I, and I, that's something I do appreciate about Sanderson is I, I think that he is a very sincere writer, and I think that sincerity as a writer is important. If if I uh, fail, if if someone doesn't like my book, I can at least feel like, well, that was the book that I wanted to write. Things a sincere endeavor. Uh, there are writers who I admire who are writing uh, to a specific audience in a genre uh, for the sort of more mainstream purpose of entertainment. And that's also wonderful. Like, there's not like any right or wrong way to do this. Uh, I don't feel like um, my way is, is, is the, the one. But, you know, I, I, I do appreciate when I encounter other writers who have taken the same sort of path that I have, which is one of... I don't know how to write the book you want me to write. I can only write the book that I know how to write. And that's what I did. So who are some of your favorite uh, contemporary authors? Maybe this is a little bit of a loaded question. It's not loaded. Uh, I, I tell you, I am uh, often in love with the last thing that I read. Um, and I will also say that when I'm writing, uh, drafting a new work as I am now, I tend to read more classic older stuff because I feel like uh, if I get too much into the contemporary voice, uh, I begin to kind of emulate it because I'm just, I'm, I am a mimic. If I hung out with people of any accent for three days, I would pick that accent up. And it's just because I have like that sort of personality. And so I can't um, really dive into new stuff as much as I would like to. But that said, like uh, uh, Harrow, uh, Alex Harrow, her, her, her work uh, I've recently really enjoyed. Uh, Fonda Lee's work uh, has been, uh, she, she's, she's really great at, at plotting and developing complex 
familial structures. And I, I, that's something that's just like a, a talent that I, um, I don't have. And so like, you know, uh, when I read, read uh, Jade City years ago, I, I was very impressed. Um, so I, there, there are a lot of contemporary fantasy writers who I admire. Uh, right now, I'm not reading a lot of their work. I'm reading a lot of um, sort of uh, nonfiction researching stuff because I'm trying to write something different. Mm. Um, but the last book that I read that I, I was just really knocked out by was probably um, uh, Connie Wills, uh, her book, uh, To Say Nothing of the Dog. Oh my God, I can't believe I got that. Um, uh, so I read that a, a couple of months ago and it just stuck with me because she, Connie Wills has this like uh, ability with humor and language uh, that that I find very impressive. So I, there's always someone to admire, and and I, I I have been reading less fiction recently, but there's, there's a lot of great stuff going on right now. Was there any specific work or series or author that really inspired uh, like parts of the books of Babel or or anything you really drew upon for that series? Yeah, um, I would say that it was. Uh, so at the time that I started writing this book, I was not not really reading fantasy. I was teaching literature. Um, I had been, you know, I got my degree in literature. I, I just like what my background. And so a lot of the stuff I was reading was poetry, prose, prose poetry, kind of mm-hmm. um, modernist stuff. Um, and so uh, the books were really taking a lot of their DNA from Italo Calvino, Thomas Mann, uh, Gujo Grass, um, uh, Camus, Kafka, uh, because that's just what I had been reading at the time. I don't love to say that now because it, it just sounds like a parade of white dudes. Uh, um, but that's sort of like where I was, I was at that point. So I would say Italo Calvino's Invisible Cities was the genesis for the, the sort of the, the germ of the concept um, because that's this imaginary travelogue and that's sort of what the Evans Guide to the Tower of Babel is. Mm-hmm. Um, but then uh, there's this movie by uh, Fritz Long from the 20s called Metropolis. I don't know if you've seen it. It's like an old silent picture. And if you go back and watch this this Art Nouveau movie, you'll just see how I I, I, I filched most most of my ideas from it. So it was sort of, it was a it was a love letter to Calvino after I watched Fritz Long, and I just like you know mashed them together, put some Douglas Adams in there, you know, and that was sort of sort of the genesis of the whole idea. Definitely, yeah, definitely Douglas Adams. My comparison, and this is going to sound kind of stupid after you listed off a bunch of uh, more well-known classical works, but my comparison was the series of unfortunate events, which was like my childhood and has a lot of the same types of like absurdist humor that you throw in. Great, great literature, wonderful work. Absolutely. And I would be honored to have that association. Absolutely. So you hinted at some uh, some studies, some some research you're doing for a new series. Is that anything that you can say anything about, or is that still kind of on lockdown at this point? No, I I can talk about it because um, uh, yeah, it's still it's in its nascency, but I, I do have like eighty percent of the book done, um, the, the draft done, and you know, we all know that like a draft is is you know uh, still very much a sketch, um, but it's called the hexologists. It's um, more of a mystery. Uh, I, I wanted to try something very different from the books of, of Babel, um, but it still has a sort of like, uh, it's character centric. Uh, I care a lot about the prose because that's just how I write. Uh, I want to have that humor. Um, mm-hmm. It's going to be, I think, lighter in, in tone, uh, more familiar in its trappings to uh, 
fans of fantasy in the sense there'll be more magic, more, you know, uh, creatures, more uh, fantastical happenings, but still set in kind of a modern uh, era. So, um, yeah, I, 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 that's what I'm working on. Uh, the things I'm researching are, are what I usually end up researching was just like, oh, how does a forest grow? It really has not a lot to do with the book, but you know, I just kind of get interested in things, you know, yeah, like, yeah. Let, me, let me learn about quarries. And then, you know, it's, um, I, I go in meaning to research the cult or, you know, the, the history, the, the, the folklore surrounding witchcraft. And I just end up looking at castles. <laughs> I mean, I can tell you did a lot of research for the books of Babel, probably a lot around like airships and how that type of like flight would work. And, um, maybe like large structures and engines, uh, just kind of speaking vaguely about some elements in, in the series. So I'm assuming those were things that you had to do research on. I did. And I, I, I was, since I was working at a college, I actually roped in my uh, research librarians to help me. And they, they came back with some wonderful documents from like 1890 uh, British airship, like, uh, you know, the, 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 the uh, air, um, I like the Zeppelins back then. Yeah, uh, yeah, but they're, they're military. It wasn't the Navy, it was the Air Force, but it wasn't, that's not what it was called. I can't, the ARC, no, that's not it. AFR, no, AFL. The Royal the Royal Air Force. Or Air whatever, Force, like, that sounds, yeah. yes, that sounds right. Um, so the RAF, yeah, that, that's right. Um, okay. they, they found like these original documents with all these sort of like um, procedures and schematics and write-ups about like, you know, uh, airships and dirigibles. And that was uh, essential to you know, just my sort of basic understanding of how these things might work in the, in the physical world. Um, anyone who knows anything about uh, airships will tell you, and dirigibles, zeppelins, blimps, will tell you that I messed up a lot and they are right. But, <laughs> It's fantasy. I did my best, you know. Right, um, right, right. <laughs> I think the great thing is that most of your readers aren't going to be experts on air flight or zeppelins or blimps. Like I am not. And so I loved it. There's maybe okay. 0.001% of people will say, that's not how that works. You know, I, I have gotten letters. <laughs> okay. Well, <laughs> I, I'm sure every author gets letters at, at some point. <laughs> For, for something they did incorrectly. But you Just can always, the name of the that, game. That's, that's the beauty of fantasy. You can always say, well, there's magic. So it works. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 you know, I'm, I'm, I appreciate that kind of uh, escape hatch. I'm always disappointed I got things wrong. But, you know, I mean, telling a, a, a story is, you get a lot of moving pieces, a lot of stuff that you're learning on the fly. And, uh, you know, a lot of my readers have asked me, uh, did you know exactly how all this was going to finish up in the final chapter? I'm like, well, I mean, I had like the pieces, but the only way to learn how to write a series is unfortunately to write a series. And so, you know, it took me 10 years. And so I learned a lot along the way, but, you know, I, I can't pretend that uh, the whole thing was, was encased in my noggin from the start. You know, there's, mm. there's things you discover, there's things you realize won't work. And, you know, it's, it's, it's an art. It's not, it's not a science, a part of it. I think one of the things we found as we've reviewed a lot of different series is that ending a series is really hard and mm -hmm. you'll get a lot of opinions. It's like, oh gosh, you know, this was okay, but this was terrible. It's really hard to please everyone with an ending. So you just ended a series or at least you, you did a while ago and now the end is, is finally coming out. 
So what were some of the challenges that you faced there? Like, how did you deal with ending your series? Like you said, the only way to do it is to do it. You know, when you get to the, the great thing about middle books is you are serving your whim. And the awful thing about your final book is you're serving the plot. And that's just unavoidable in, in some ways. So there's all these things that you have teased for many books, all these things you have promised to, to un, unravel or solve or answer these questions, et cetera. And so while you know your second and third book is all this sort of casting out of lines and the final book, you have to reel them all in. Um, I had never done that before. I knew it was going to come, but you know, uh, even with all the preparations I made, it was still a challenge. And, and, and it's a challenge, not just in the sense of like, oh, does, is everyone satisfied with what, what you did, but just the enormity of it. Like three books as a, as a sort of setup is hard to, to solve in one book. Um, at least it was for me. Uh, you know, it was a, a learning experience. Um, I don't know if I, I would ever do it again. Like I, I think the thing about writing a series uh, for me is um, it made me realize that my favorite thing about writing are, are the characters, are their like interpersonal stories, uh, their sort of incidental interaction. The big plot, the, the sort of um, frame of, of the story, it's just not as, it's not, it's not what I am as good at. I, well, if I'm good at anything. So I, I don't know. I mean, I, it, was, it was interesting. Um, I'm, I'm you know, glad that, that some people enjoy it. People who are disappointed, that's fair. You know, I, <laughs> I, 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 did, I, I did my best. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, I, so I, 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 I don't know. Yeah. Did you have this, um, all of these major decisions outlined from the beginning or do you, I mean, you, you did say that you have, I mean, some of it outlined or some of them, some of the pieces in your head, at least, um, or, or are you discovering these things along with the characters? It's both. I mean, it's both. Uh, yeah, it's both. Uh, when I was in the second part of the first book in the baths in Cinema the Sand, I, I realized like I had to start um, making some decisions. You know, because like before, when I initially started, there was in the back of my head this idea that like, oh, I'll just have one part for every ringdom, and there's 64 ringdoms, and so that will be 64 parts divided by three. That will be. I'm bad at math, but that's a lot of books. That's a lot of books, and I, I and I was like halfway through the, the second part, and I was like, that's ridiculous. I can't write 20 books. Um, and so then I had to like really start to think about what the major arc that I wanted to pursue in the series would be. Mm. Uh, and, I, and I hammered that out. And I, the, the thing that I vacillated between is like, what was me four or five books? And I think that the the problem that you see, well, not the problem, uh, the the difference you see between Arm of the Sphinx and the Han King is there's this sort of like sudden bloat. And the same goes for uh, the Fall of Babel. That's because the Fall of Babel and the Han King both kind of absorbed a fifth book. You know, there's 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 another book that I I try to kind of like um, mm. skip. And it was because when I sat down after writing 150 pages of similar sense, it did dawn on me that no one's going to read this. And so you know, you're like, uh, so do I write, write five books and no one's going to read or write four books and no one's going to read? And so that's why I kind of structured it the way I did initially. And, you know, I, if I had a time machine and I was a better writer, I would go back and do things differently. But, you know, at the point um, early on, I knew exactly like the, the major points that I wanted to hit. Uh, there were things I had to just give up. I wanted to like, there's another ringdom called Algez that's sort of like the sister city to Pelthia that was going to have really its own book. Uh, and that was going to be the book where Adam at the 
Preston Tower was going to have his part two. That was going to be the fourth book. And but I, 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 you know, I was sitting around plotting, and I was like, I don't, I don't know that this deserves the time and attention I would give. I, 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 yeah. So um, you know, in the end, I, I decided to go with four books. But that was all those decisions were made very early on. And when I quit writing the series after really the second book, it, it was largely because I was like, this is way too much work for, for nobody. Like, you know, I'm not going to just do this for myself. Uh, yeah. And so at, at, until, I mean, you've recently become a full-time writer mm-hmm. and has your career been up until this point, a professor at a college professor? Um, I did that for about 10 years and that's when I was trying to be a poet. And then I had, I don't know, have you ever had a, have you ever had a freak out, freaked out? You ever been like, I can't do this in Mid- midlife uh, crisis I'm, I'm, type thing? I'm currently going through one of those. So I, okay. I, yeah, I feel that a little bit. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> I had a freak out. So I quit my job. I quit my job before I had this thing lined up. Um, and it was sort of miraculous that several months later it started to take off. But it, it was really just, you know, I quit, quit my job because being a teacher is something you can't like half-ass. You, you're either in, in it and you, I, mm-hmm. I couldn't half-ass it. Like I had to like believe in it and I had to like be there and, and be useful for my, my students who I really cared a lot about. And I couldn't, I just got, I got burned out. So mm-hmm. uh, I had to, to quit sort of abruptly. I came home uh, at the end of a semester in the fall of 2016. It was spring of 2016. I just told my wife, well, I'm not going back there ever again. I quit. Uh, she was very supportive. And it was about two or three months later that Mark Lawrence started to get interested in the book. Wow. So, you know, that's crazy. When I say that I'm, I'm lucky, I mean, like, I'm, I'm super duper lucky. That's the, my quality. So you talked about your characters making decisions and you talked about yourself as your, your backstory, being a professor and your main character, Senlin, is a headmaster of a school. Mm-hmm. Is there a, is, is there some similarity there? Is there some of you in Senlin? I think there's more of my, yeah, there's a little bit. Absolutely. There's a lot of it. I mean, like, I, you know, um, yes, there's, there's a lot of the, the neurosis that I have, he embodies. Um, but he also represents this sort of teacher that I did not particularly like in my, which is a teacher who seems to be uh, most concerned with being right and being uh, impressive and being in charge. And that was never the kind of teacher I, I particularly wanted to be. And it was the kind of peer I did not enjoy. So while there is a lot of his sort of neurotic habit that I uh, absolutely drew for myself from, um, that, that egotism is something that, that I was frustrated with. Yeah, I, 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 and, and I'm sure everyone has careers where they look around their peers and I'm like, you're kind of a pill. And so, you know, it's that sort of where, um, where someone gets some of his DNA. That's something that, I hadn't heard before is somebody writing a protagonist based on a person in real life that they're not that yeah yeah fond of. <laughs> really? Well, I don't know. I, but I, may, I, maybe I, that's yeah. just maybe if I talk to more authors about their inspirations for their protagonists, it well, would uh, it would come out. I mean, Ryan, we, we talked about Mark Lawrence a little bit. Hopefully, he's not uh, too fond of the inspiration of Jorg of Ancrath. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure Jorg of Ancrath is all personal accounts from his life <laughs> just boy scouts yeah, yeah. <laughs> one one thing uh, about Sedlin I thought was interesting um is as you read him you realize like this guy is pretty deeply flawed but it's not like oh I'm the hero and I can't do this like one minor thing and that's my flaw but like he's got a lot of issues and he doesn't necessarily like 
overcome these issues. He grows in a lot of ways, but he still remains who he is at the core. So I think that's what's something that I really enjoyed reading the books is like Senlin seems like a really real guy. And it, he isn't just getting these amazing powers because he's in a fantasy book. He's growing as a person would under these like strange and stressful situations. Yeah, I, well, There are readers who really enjoy uh, sort of wish fulfillment aspect of, of fantasy. I enjoy it too. Like that's like, it's, it's a wonderful thing to have characters who are competent, who their growth is meteoric not meteoric what's the other thing atmospheric no upward rising uh, exponential you know, exponential it's going the right way and mm-hmm. uh you know uh that's not the case i think that 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 he starts off um and he's arrogant and then he gets humiliated and then he gets a little bit better but he's never at any point in the book like the messiah he's not like the chosen he's just a guy doing the best that he can with uh a lot of self-reflection. And so, you know, people, readers who enjoy um, a different sort of protagonist or hero, uh, I totally understand because it's it's a little, it, it does, you know, cut a little close to, to home, you know, ha- having somebody who is just doing their best and 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 it's it's not great, you know, <laughs> it's, not, it's not great. But yeah, that's the, that's the kind of like uh, character I like because that's the kind of character I relate to, this kind of person that I, I am. Uh, I, I've always had a hard time really relating to um, burly, heroic dudes who are just like, you just gotta like dig deep, gotta dig deep, fight to the pain, <laughs> believe in yourself and do the thing. I'm like, I, I have never in my, when I dig deep, I just <laughs> fart a little bit. There's nothing down there. Like, I, like <laughs> self-reflection is this laborious thing. It takes a lot of time and it's slow and it's tedious. Uh, but I think the fruits are more long lasting than just like digging deep. But that's, that's mine. Ryan and Josh and I just recorded our review of the Hod King book, book three of the series. And at one point, Josh said he was frustrated with Senlin because he was wanting him to kind of make this decision and, and, and I guess perform better. And he's like, you know, come on, why can't he communicate? Why couldn't he get this done? Uh, trying to kind of talk around the plot elements for those who haven't read it. But then Ryan uh, brought up the point that, you know, he was, under all of this pressure and had all these things going on and he's probably experiencing a lot of depression and just like, couldn't do it. He couldn't, he couldn't dig deep. And it, it sounds like that's, uh, that's essentially how you write the character. You, you try to be like, if he was in this situation, how, you know, what would he really be able to do and what would he not be able to? Yeah. Well, I mean, whenever someone says they're frustrated with someone, I, I, I say me, uh, but, but that's because <laughs> like, I'm frustrated with myself. I mean, I, there's so many things that that in my life that I, if I just like had the, the, the right amount of fortitude or tenacity or courage or energy, I could, I could do. And and I I'm, I I am very good at making excuses for myself, um, and 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 some of them I think are you know reasonable. Those are not. Um, but whenever I look at like another like external character, I'm like, no excuses for you. You must like, you know, be the super. Uh-huh. And I guess, so for me as a writer, I'm like, you know, I'm gonna just treat these people as being really fallible um, and, 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 and human people that, that I, I am myself. Um, again, it's just, it's just uh, a matter of taste. It's not like a matter of morality. It's just what I, what I prefer to write. I actually was a little frustrated 
with Sentlin at especially at the beginning of the first book just I was like I was relating to it a bit too much I think when I was like here's this bookish guy who's like out of his element out of his comfort zone and his wife is just you know going off doing things maybe having fun who knows what and he's just like trying to catch up to her I was like man this is hitting too close to home (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, I I think like for me with Sinlin is, you know, when he comes to the tower, he feels like he is perfectly prepared. He feels like he is the the competent one he's coming to in some ways, just uh, prove his expectations. You know, he's, he's, he's a researcher coming to to, to study an object. Uh, And, and what's for me, fun about this series is he realizes that he's the object needing like, you know, observation and study and reflection. Uh, because uh, he, he, you know, doesn't know himself. Um, but yeah, he's he he does come with that sense of like, I'm going to be just fine here. I, I have my plan. Uh, everything's going to be all right. And and very quickly that stripped away from him, which I think is is pretty much what I would call graduating from college. You know, <laughs> yes. I have a plan. This is all going to be okay. And of course, it uh-huh. really is. So along with Sedlin, uh, as we consider like your other cast of characters. Were there any that were easier or harder to write or uh, just came more naturally to you? Hmm. I, I, you know, I, 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 I get this question occasionally and, and I, I want to make up somebody who was hard to write. Uh, they were all about the same. I, I would say that the easiest character to write was Byron because Byron just showed up and started like mouthing off. And I could write a <laughs> hundred pages of Byron just being generally unpleasant to, to people in a very um, polite way. Uh, yeah, so he, he's the easiest to write. I think that, that Byron is the closest to my, my sort of like internal snarky monologue, the things you don't say while you're standing there in line or meeting somebody for the first time, you know, you sort of don't say that and he, he just says it. Um, but the rest of the characters, like I, I, I think that like I deliberated over certain scenes. Like there's a scene um, in the Han King between two characters who have a reunion um, that I, I rewrote and and thought about and rewrote and wrote. I mean, probably five. Six. And it wasn't like um, I didn't know exactly. I just I, you know you want to get it right. And 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 so yeah, there, there's moments that are important that you labor over because yeah, I mean it, I. I don't know if you, you, there's nothing worse than getting uh, infatuated with a series, like a television series or a movie or a book series. And there's this like, you know, dynamic between two characters. And then like the um, conclusion is just flat. You know, there's just, there's no um, magnetism. There's no magic there. And so I I really wanted to, to at least spare my readers that like, you read through three books and now there's gonna be like oh yeah oh boy oh well yeah (laughs) and that's it you know you gotta you gotta get it right it has to it has to have Uh like uh humor and heart and depth and complexity and so those are the scenes that that even though i know the characters very well you have to you have to really pound on them is i'm trying to use vague vague terms is this yeah i want to know too i want to know too is this a scene that takes place on like a roller coaster s that is the scene yes that is the scene okay we we did talk about this uh, when we were recording our review and we we had some differing opinions but it's a big scene it, yeah. it, it is a big scene and um, I'm glad that you you talked about the process of writing it because I, I imagine that 
similar situation would would be difficult for at least for me to write i, I the thing as far as a writer uh, to realize is you're not you're not writing to, you're writing to serve the story as best you and you are unfortunately the most qualified person to do it and it is unfortunate because there are better writers there are more attuned humans there are more sensitive uh dialogists uh but you unfortunately are the monkey in charge of this story and i, I felt that a lot you know while i was working on this that you know there's a responsibility but it wasn't um yeah i i yeah, did the best i could so there's a lot of different themes in the series and i'm just curious uh you as the the author like what would you want readers to pick up on from like how would you want readers to I guess, you know, apply things into their lives or grow as people as they read your books. Cause there's a lot of, you know, kind of deep tidbits layered throughout. And I really appreciate that. Um, I would say that like with the epigraphs in particular, um, I've been thinking about them a lot recently. They were not any one thing. They were not um, uh, just purely uh, world building nuggets. They were not purely um, uh, plot guideposts they were not purely red herrings or ironic tidbits they were all of those things uh uh it melded together um without warning they they the epigraphs are um for me uh a distillation of thoughts but they're also like unreliable and uh purposely so um and i think this is like partly a result of me being a, a compositional teacher for so long, like the thing that I wanted to teach my students was not what to, or what the answer to any poem was, like you know how to read this poem, what the interpretation was, how to how to really get it right in your your analysis. My hope was just to teach them how to vet a source, how to um, analyze um, a point of view, how to have it inner critical process where they could, you know, uh, decide for themselves what things. And so, so much of the books of Babel um, is unreliable. So much of the, the especially those epigraphs are un unreliable, ambiguous, problematic. And that's by design because I want readers to figure out what it means for them. And, and not to say I don't have opinions about what they mean, not to say I don't have faults about what, you know, is going on with society, et cetera. But I think as a writer, you know, my job is not to, to have the answers, but to present a platform and say like, hey, here's here's a playing field for for you as a reader um, to decide what you think. And if you engage in a discussion with other readers uh, on this playing field, like, great. And um, if I am forgotten and the work is relevant to that discussion, fine, because it's not about, it's not about me. It's not about you know, yeah, it's not a legacy and all sorts of stuff. It's about trying to give people opportunities to hone their own thoughts, explore their own sort of understanding of the world. Um, yeah. So, yeah. What, what does the book mean? What does the series mean? Like, I would never, ever insult readers by telling them. Like, that, that's not the point. It's just, hmm. it's it's a playing field for them to figure out what it is. Sometimes that's the hardest answer to get as a reader. <laughs> I mean, and it absolutely makes sense, but think for myself what I don't want to do that I want you to tell me what the answer is I guess that's probably what you got a lot from your students too yeah absolutely they, they just said like why don't you just tell me what it means so I can get an A and get out of here I'm like the study of literature is not the study of my truth it's the study of yourself 
And so like, like that's that's what I always like love about books. Uh, literature books are full of holes. You have to pluck in your own meaning. Uh, and it's, and that is for me the sort of very slippery divide between pure entertainment and kind of deeper stuff. Pure entertainment doesn't really need you. To, you don't have to do any work. And there's nothing wrong with not doing any work. I watch a lot of stuff, read a lot of stuff around the doing work. But stuff where you have to like make your own calls, make your own you know sort of interpretations. I, you know, I think that this is it's useful. There's, there's 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 a point to it. And and uh, yeah, I don't know. Your, your, so, your miles will vary. So are you confirming that you are indeed Oren Robinson of the Daily Reverie? Uh, no, no. He's, <laughs> he's much more clever than I am. He's a, a, a smarty pants. Um, yeah, I'm just I'm just a guy, you know. Uh, no, I, I love Oren Robinson. He's, um, he's fun. Um, but no, I, I can't say I am, I am him. I'm, I'm, I'm definitely closer to Byron hmm. than Oren. Okay, okay. Because Byron wants, like, you know, like to make the, the flan. He wants to make the casserole. He wants to, you know, chiffonade the mint. And that's that's more in my line than going to a party, for God's sake. I'd, I'd rather be fired out of a can and go to a party. <laughs> uh, have, have you read any Joe Abercrombie? I, I, I have read a chapter. Okay. All right. Stephen, Stephen had an interesting theory in which there was this writer in Abercrombie's work named Spillian Swarbrick and Stephen's theory was that Spillian Swarbrick was Joe Abercrombie inserting himself into the story as Spillian. Indeed. Oh, that's, that's, that's very, that's very, that's a lot of fun. Yeah. Although if you've read his most recent, if listeners have read his most recent, you know, this theory ages very, very poorly. Uh, so hopefully the Oren Robinson theory doesn't go too far off the rails mm-hmm. in well, book four. <laughs> Yeah, no, I, I like the idea that authors are, are inserting themselves in kind of in like fun little ways. I feel like that's what I would try to do if I were ever to write a book. I, I don't I don't think it's even, well, it would be fun. It, it can be fun. I'm sure authors do it. I don't think it's even necessary. The entire book is me inserting myself into the story. I mean, it's all true, the characters true. are some yeah, like yeah. aspect of myself. It's not like I, I feel like, boy, I just wish I had some representation in this novel that I'm writing. There's only like 15 characters are all like a little sliver of my psychology. But <laughs> if only there was one guy who was like a, you know, I, you know it's, it's all me. It's all, it's all like part of my character. So one kind of fun scenario, maybe you can humor us and consider for a second. I assume that you've read uh, Mark Lawrence's The Broken Empire trilogy. Mm-hmm. Uh, what, what would happen if Jorg of, of Ancraft meets the uh, Tower of Babel. Do you think he would just knock it to the ground, destroy everything? Do you think he would rise to the top, be quickly smothered? Yeah, I was thinking about this earlier. It's uh, hmm, a good <laughs> question. I think that um, the thing about Jorg is that he's he's tilting at windmills in some way. And I think that, that the, the tower is an endless windmill. And so I think there would always be something for him to rail or rage or, you know, bump against. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like it would, it, I, I don't think he would just like become a, a, a lord of port and settle down and, and, and marry and get, and, and, and calm down. I think he would uh, go until he burned out, you know, and okay. I, do I think he would conquer the tower? Oh, I don't, I don't know. I don't think anyone can because it, it you know, it's, it's, it's sort of um, always renewing. So by the time you, you've, You've conquered the, the fifth ring down, the fourth ring that was renewed. You know, it's, it's not, yeah. 
It's mm. it's not that simple. Um, yeah, and and uh, I think he would have he would have a lot of fun. I think that he would he would uh, he would go out like uh, Alexander, you know, Just ultimately get like um, <laughs> overwhelmed by by his success, eat too many grapes, get fat, and die. Um, so. So far, Stephen and I have read the first three books, and you've explored a few of these ringdoms. And now you mentioned earlier there's there's 64 in total. Mm. So that's a lot of unexplored um, of unexplored territory. Now we don't know how book four ends because we haven't read it yet. So I mean, is that is there potential to explore further in the future? Is that something you're considering? I'm considering it. Yeah. Uh, I can't really, I, it's hard to talk about it without like talking about the fourth book and the ending, et cetera. Mm, yeah. Interesting. Um, interesting. I, I do think that like there, there's a lot of tower. There's a lot of tower. It's four books. There mm-hmm. could be more. Um, whether there's an appetite among leaders or writers to produce more, we have to wait. But, you know, I think that, that, uh, Hmm. Uh, n- not everything has been said about the tower. It's not been elucidated to the point where you're like, yeah, well, we've got that figured out. That's all, all sewed up. So I'll take that. Like, I'll take that yeah. answer. Yeah, I like it. Appropriately mysterious and vague. Yeah, that's what I do. <laughs> so we are low on time here, but uh, you do have a book coming out next week, as we mentioned. Uh, tell us a little bit about like, uh, like what is a book release like in these? I mean, COVID is still raging um and in parts of the world and i know that uh, that's definitely affected the industry in a lot of ways so uh like what's next week like for you for, uh, book release week so for the book release i'm doing it with a local bookstore virtually because that's sort of that's the best option for all of us so main point books uh in the suburbs of philadelphia i don't know exactly where it is uh we'll be hosting a uh, online event but what's fun about this event is that i'll be doing it with ian lino who is the cover artist for the books. He was the original cover artist mm. for the self-published books. He's the cover artist for the published, uh, you know, uh, formerly published editions. And he's also like uh, the guy that I've known since I'm, I was nine years old. Like, you know, we were kids writing books together and, and being goofs. So it's really um, pretty awesome that we get to have this opportunity just to kind of celebrate the fact that we, he believed in me when no one else did. Like when I was writing the books 10 years ago, uh, he was he was the guy who was like, yeah, I'll, I'll draw you a cover. I'll you know, create a cover for you and help you, you know, learn how to sell the books at conventions, teach you how to, you know, do the kind of like pitch to strangers. Like, hey, do you like fantasy? No, sorry about that. Excuse me, sir. Um, <laughs> you know, he told me how to get past that. And yeah, but also, I, I you know, I, I, I've known him since I was in jams. Uh, so it, it's uh, it's gonna be fun. Um, it'll be a live event. It's seven, eight. I should really like look this stuff up before us. It'll be on Tuesday, the ninth, at some time, and people can like find out uh, on Twitter or my website. You know when that will be exactly. And and can they can they purchase signed and maybe numbered copies through this bookstore or online signed signed okay. yes indeed they, they are um they're my current like uh, go-to for um shipping signed copies want to support the local brick and mortar keep those independent stores mm-hmm. like going strong uh they are just wonderful folks at main point books in Philadelphia. I don't know. Why didn't I look this up? I should know this. I just have their, their address. Like, anyway, main point books outside of Philadelphia. 
uh, yeah, they're the, the guys. They're doing uh, signed copies for me. Um, yeah. Um, and also, I think there's an opportunity to get Ian to sign them too, if you're into that. So, um, yeah. Great. Do you do numbered copies at all? Uh, well, I mean, the, the Sun Press editions are numbered and the Enderida Press editions are numbered. Uh, when I was doing my own um, self-published editions, I didn't know how to count very high. So they, <laughs> they, weren't, they weren't numbered. Just increases the value. If I guess one through 10. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> so no, there, there, there's, there's not, there's not going to be a number, you know, paperback edition. Really quick. I am curious. How did, how does the uh, subpress contracts work? Like, do they reach out to you and say, Hey, we're interested in publishing a special edition of your book? Um, yes. That, that, yes. That's, that's, yeah. That's, I mean, okay. I, I, okay. I, 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 I am such uh, a noob. I am such uh, like a, a neophyte to all this stuff that when someone comes to me and says like, oh, we like your work and we would like to do something special with it. I'm like, you would? <laughs> Have you read it? Do you know who I am? I don't know who I am. So like, you know, all this sort of stuff is, is novel and, and fun. And uh, the people at uh, Subpress, uh, uh, Bill has just been like the, the most amazing person to work with. The, the, the artist for the Subpress editions, Tom Kidd has been, genuinely one of the, the, the kindest, most um, uh, available, uh, welcoming people I've met in the industry. And his work is just incredible. So it's, it's, it's been a absolute treat, a privilege and a treat. Yeah, I don't, I don't know if they see me, but I, I don't tell them that. Just let them keep, I mean, I would like to keep making books with them if they, if they want to. So don't spoil. <laughs> Stephen will keep buying them. Yeah, I, I will keep. I, and I love and I'll, keep, I'll keep wishing I could buy them uh-huh <laughs> thank you that's great well we're, we're at time thank you so much josiah for coming on the show uh we're uh we are currently reading the the fourth book and so we're going to try to get a, a review out soon uh but like you said it's it's a bit longer than the other books the, the hod king was longer so that's it's taking a little bit longer yeah sorry sorry my bad we'll forgive you no. I, I never really complain about long books because if you like it, it's just more to enjoy. I don't understand why people would ever complain about long books, but uh, that's that's a bit of a personal rant. Anyway, again, thank you so much. Uh, check out Josiah on, twi- on Twitter, on your website, I'm assuming, and, uh, mm-hmm. and definitely support uh, your next book, support the local bookstores, etc. Um, I'm sure you're going to be promoting all of this stuff um, as, as we get into release week, right? Yes, hopefully, yes. Gotta keep okay. it together, you know. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks so much for listening. Uh, we'll catch you next time. See you later. <laughs>